0: Never give up I never give up I never give up Turning hi guys around. welcome back to Nef inspiration today I have got another time for an interview and it's an absolute amazing interview because I uh started a while ago reading a book and that book blew my mind because uh, the author just was so honest and was so so wonderful in trying to give meaning to a trauma and to a darkness that he was part of. And it was just a fantastic story. It's a fantastic story of transformation, of hope, of resilience, of perseverance. For fuck's sake, this was an amazing book. He is an amazing man. And I'm so proud that I've got Matthew Griffin with me today on the show. Griff, Thank you so much for making time for me. Uh, it's an honor to speak to you. Well, I'm glad to be here today, and thank you for the the glowing introduction. <laughs> and, uh, oh, it is, it is, it is. Uh, you're an amazing man, and it transpires for everyone who will read your book, especially since it is a it is a book that is truly about about changing the world, about you taking leadership and you having a dream and not giving up on that dream and oh, that's beautiful but so far we are talking a bit about around the we're beating around the bush but griff take us there i mean what was your mission and where did it all where did it all start
1: uh so i would say it probably started sometime around 2001 Uh, I was sitting in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I saw the plane smash into the World Trade Centers. At that time, I was a West Point graduate, uh, going into the military as my officer basic course. My mom lived in D.C. and my girlfriend at the time lived in New York City. So it was a very scary, personally scary time for me. And I resolved myself to what most Americans did of revenge and I went down the, the rabbit hole all the way to the very pointy end of the American spear into the 75th Ranger Regiment, in which I deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq several times uh, in service of my country to end terrorism. Uh, little did I know uh, what I would see like when, when I got downrange was very different than what I had been told in the mainstream media, uh, what I had been told by my leaders and mentors and you know, we've lived in Afghan villages at 10,000 feet in the middle of winter. And when you see that kind of poverty, it it changes you down to the core of your person. You know, most Westerners, you know, we have a hard time because of our relationship with our parents or growing up poor. And when you see the the conditions of which kids are suffering in Afghanistan and how poor they are, it really makes you self-reflect. Um And then, you know, you you just keep doing it, right? You have to, it's your job. You get paid to do it. Uh, You're responsible for other human beings. And yeah, over the course of the next couple of years, we lost a a few guys, um, which only hardened my heart. And uh, it hardened my courses of action. And I say in those following years, I, I emptied my karma cup because I didn't want any of those incidents to happen to any more of my friends or family. And by 2000 and five uh probably around my 100th or 120th mission in Iraq I had a couple incidences which were seared into my brain forever and uh, which I realized that you know what we were doing and what I was doing wasn't right and it was endless as long as we continued down this path i knew there was a solution i just didn't know what it was um got out of the military in 2006 i was 27 years old i had a six month old and an 18 month old, uh, a wife and got out of the military and started working. And during that period of time, I, you know, just tried to bury all of that pain and anger under lots of work and alcohol, um, you know, building my own house, working like crazy at my own job, trying to raise my kids, you know, just everything you can to just like, just cover that hurt. Mm. And, uh, in 2008, I lost my job as a home builder I ended up getting a job as a contractor putting medical clinics in developing nations, aka war zones, um, on behalf of the US government contractors. And I had to start traveling there. And when I was traveling there, I, I didn't have a platoon of rangers and heavy machine guns and rocket launchers and hand grenades with me. I had to get there based on my smile, personality and some cash. And what I really learned was that the areas that were flourishing with small business and entrepreneurs were the safest. If you were bringing in uh, you know, an open heart and kindness and opportunity for the people that were living in these nations, they were willing to take care of you because you were taking care of their families. And I saw this all throughout Africa, throughout the Middle East, through Southeast Asia. And it, it, it you, know, you keep getting shown the same message over and over and over again. Like this was a very positive message, unfortunately. Most of us received those negative messages over and over again, until we learn our lesson. And eventually, one day, I walked into a combat boot factory in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I saw a flip flop thong punched through a combat boot sole. And I was like, man, this is so ugly and cool. And the name combat and flip flops bounced around because you don't <laughs> fight flip flops. And the the geo the political term for a flip flop. I don't know if it's the same for you in New Zealand, but it's somebody who takes a 180 degree stance change on a subject while arguing that both are still required. I still believe in a strong military and defense force, but I believe we have all capabilities to do something in a very different manner. And we say business, not bullets. So I set the flip flop down. I walked out of the factory. I called my ranger buddy, uh, who had served as my right hand man for all of my deployments. He was living in L.A. It was two o'clock in the morning. And I said, hey, we're going to make flip flops in a combat boot factory in Afghanistan. And he's like, I'm in. And so I said, hey, can you check to see if the domain name <laughs> combatflipflops.com is available? And go figure, nobody put those two together in the history of the Internet. And so for two ninety nine, we started our company, Combat Flip Flops.
0: <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> just the story is just so mind-blowing but having said that whilst it is such a beautiful story it is also so true isn't it when we go wherever you go people want in 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 their truest deepest inner heart they want peace they want laughter they want joy they want security they want an income they want a purpose in their life that's really what drives people. And it doesn't matter which color of skin, which which imaginary friend they believe in. Uh, it doesn't matter. And so... Doesn't- isn't it? And that's that's the that's the the core of of us. And therefore, I mean, I'm I'm working in a medical field. I'm an anaesthetist. And as it so happens in in many theatres in which I have worked, not theatres of war, theatres really theatres, uh, operating rooms. Um, there is uh, you're lucky if you find one indigenous so-called uh, person in there, for example, in the UK, you find the odd Englishman in there or English woman, the rest is Pakistani, uh, Sri Lankan, you name it, uh, we are melting pot. And when you actually work in these environments with so many strangers, quotation marks, it's beautiful because you realize what it all boils down to. Now, for me in a non-threatening environment, that's probably quite a logical step to take for you being there, being shot at, being treated, uh, maybe in a not such a nice way. I mean, IEDs, VB IEDs, you call it, um, they are not very nice. Bullets, when they come the wrong way, they're not very nice. So, it, it, I mean, you could be forgiven of be, be becoming very, very, I don't know, falling into the trap of not seeing that there are human beings on the other side. Yeah, everybody was essentially a threat.
1: When your enemy is dressed up as the same as a civilian, you can't not help but look at every person on the
0: street as if they are a threat. Having said that, when you are actually in the military, you are depersonalizing the enemy because it is so against a human being, the human nature to take a life. So it is every military that I know, every person that I've talked of, they don't talk about uh, Mustafa and Abdul and um, yeah, Ahmed, they, they call them gooks, uh, whatever derogatory name. you oh, can, yeah, yeah, Exactly, is, yeah. exactly right. So therefore, um, when did you start realizing, was that always something during your military career? Or was there a transformation? And what led to that transformation? You know,
1: Afghanistan was different uh, for me. And I I fought a very different war because I fought early on in the war Mm. in which it was really pre-IEDs, pre-internet and YouTube and all of these things. And we were often so far out and so far up in the hills, we didn't have body armor. We carried rifles. We worked with indigenous forces because we were the Americans. We had the, the... the flag of freedom on our shoulder and when people Mm -hmm. saw that they still had this image of hope oh wow yeah right so that was it was very different back then for us and then we spent most of our time out in the communities and then there was a shift there was a shift in which we would stay behind blast wall barriers and the only time we left was to go out and to do dirty work so there was never the relationship building for the younger guys coming in behind. And you could see the mentality change in them because all they knew were those people were as a threat. And then when we got to Iraq, it was even worse hmm. because it was the the second year in Iraq. This is when they started videotaping the executions and beheadings of of Americans and that only it rippled through the ranks. Those videos hit all of our servers and they said, This is what they're going to do to you. Mm-hmm. You know, we would go drive through the streets and we would collect, you know, American bodies, missing heads with their their IDs and stuff like on, on them on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And that's what really retreated American forces behind these walls, and so which all of these millions of people went and served over there, but they never got to experience the culture they never sat down around a table and sat and spoke and built trust and broke bread with somebody that's, you know, in the nation, which they're trying to free. So it's, it it was an impossibility for us to even think that we could spread our ideals when we would be so scared that we would only hide behind walls and only come out in the hours of darkness. Mm. Yeah. It's, it it was, it's an impossibility. You can't do that. And so the, uh, when, and when I started seeing that shift, that's when it really started happening to me. And and really, the the shift was when we changed our drone policy. Because mm. my job was a was a fire supporter. I would have to jump out of an airplane or slide out of a helicopter, walk miles, hide in a hole, do whatever to verify that the target was there. There wasn't going to be unnecessary casualties as a result of an airstrike. And then we would, you know, do our work. And I remember specifically in the middle of my this is when all the things started happening was in iraq is that we knew where a high value target was this guy was a known bad dude Hmm. and he was in a um he was in a compound that was outside of town like oh this is perfect i'm gonna bomb the shit out of this guy like we need to go get eyes on and watch it Hmm. and they go no no you don't get you don't get to worry about that we're just going to send a hellfire into it and I was rewound back into my time at the military academy. So the United States military academy is a center for military and moral thought, regardless of what people think. And when we're challenged with new technologies, they typically put it in front of the youngest brains and they bring in generals or leaders from all over. And they discuss these topics because when you have the old guys who are responsible for and the young brains who are looking at it with fresh eyes, you can have a really open and honest discussion. Right. And, and, you know, at this time, nobody's worried about their career. They're not about worried about saying anything that's going to end their career. They can ask the difficult questions. And in all of my years at the military, as this technology started coming up, none of the military leaders, none of the global leaders could v- validate the moral argument for doing kinetic strikes off of drones. They said they're for surveillance only because if we go down this rabbit hole of just bombing people, without verification or a human interaction it's going to be a slippery slope for us and then i witnessed it happen right in front of my eyes from the talk the tactical operations center i watched this happen wow and 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 that was that was a huge break for me and i knew that my job was essentially irrelevant and then you watched what happened as the drone strikes ran up obama campaign all through there. And they just kept going and going and going. And they went as far as deeming any male over 16 years of age as a combatant. I know the, 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 the dirty work of our job is called a battlefield assessment in which after you drop a drone drone, 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 or a bomb strike or anything else, you have to do, you know, the battle damage assessment, the BDA, as we call it. Hmm. And you have to go there and you have to see what your munitions did. You have to like surf the bodies, like men, women, children, you have to do the reports. And then in this wreckage, what you don't, what Americans and Hollywood doesn't recognize or the world doesn't recognize is that those explosives are shape charged off of a metal fuselage with guidance units and everything else on it. And all of those bombs are painted with United States of America with national stock numbers on the side of them. And you can find that wreckage everywhere like if all you have to do is like oh there's the hole and then you look at the direction that it was moving and then you can literally walk a path like a car accident you can go and find those pieces and pick them up and go oh okay what was this how did it do and when we start doing those drone strikes with the hellfires there there's even more wreckage the warhead on it is really tall and it goes in a certain direction and the whole motor behind it is almost left nearly completely intact so as we start bombing these young kids and women and missing these strikes and wedding parties and hospitals and everything else that we did families go to that site and they collect the wreckage and they just like I did they will walk through and they will find all the bits and pieces it says United States of America all over them hmm. and you can't help but think what a young kid who's pulling the body of his father or his brother or his mother out of a wreckage how he feels about our country after finding that piece of evidence Please. We are only cutting the head off the hydro. We are creating more terrorists by this, and I couldn't morally do it. So that's why I left.
0: Fuck me. I mean, if that if that description does not really nail it down, and I mean, this should go bloody viral uh, out there. It is so important what you have just said. We are creating. Um, We are creating terrorists by such actions. And I think that is pretty, uh, pretty given. Um, It is, it is amazing when you actually see where, where this all has gone basically out of fear that, that, uh, that the body counts that we saw in the Vietnam War that so much turned the... The, the vietnam war around uh, the uh, anti-war resentment that was then at home um that uh, that is threatening for any military leader or, or governmental leader so it's much easier to not have any boots on the ground and just blow everyone apart and it's just yeah, that, so I, nuts.
1: I, I, I call my representatives annually and i and I, I kind of gave up after a while after a decade of calling and getting pushed off the staffers like well, you need to take a serious look at this program Hmm. You need to look at the numbers and the recent reports that have come out in the last two years is we have a 20 X increase in collateral damage as a result of these strikes. Wow. Plus, that's what, that's what we know, but that's what they're reporting on. Wow. Brutal. And then they say, Oh, we're saving lives. Like, <laughs> Oh, you're, <laughs> you're saving white lives. <laughs> but did the, did Brown people not matter? Did they not matter? Cause they're Islam, you know, yeah. and like, do you, do, do, do you, do you not care? And wow. they, they just, they, they, well, I took a class on it in college. I'm like, well, I'm telling you, I've stood in the wreckage of these sites and it's bad. Like when you see a little girl shoveled into a bucket, that, that stuff sticks with you. It really does. Hmm. And all we're doing is amplifying them to crank up a response to us on the other side. And when you talk about, oh, we're saving lives. Like we killed more Iraqis as a result of our actions than Saddam Hussein ever did by an order of magnitude. I've stood in Yazidi refugee camps after ISIS rolled through and watched women farm vegetables outside of their plastic tents to feed their families after 80% of their village had been executed. But nobody ever talks about that.
0: Hmm.
1: It's never reported. No, you're quite right. And that's what drives guys to freaking drink their faces off and, you know, like, you know, seek relief through suicide and all of those things because they can't reconcile the moral injuries that we sustained as a result of the direction and the tools that were provided to us.
0: Exactly. It is bloody hell it is i we could talk for hours here because i so believe in that we could talk uh, about the changes that that were seemingly put in place with the church committee in the 70s etc people wanted to try to to clean their act up in the united states and then six uh, uh um, several governments uh just gently turned the whole thing a little bit around and nowadays we're as Bad or probably worse than it ever was uh, in the post-war, post-World War II scenario. But I want to, I want to move away from that, that topic. Okay. However tempting it is for the <laughs> two of you, uh, two uh, of us. I'll talk think, about it as long as you want. I know, to I know, and I'm so passionate about it as well. Um, but it's one thing to be frustrated. It's one thing to be really morally upset to be so destroyed, but then what happened? Where did you get that glimmer of hope? I know you had this crazy idea standing in Afghanistan in that boot factory and said, combat flip-flop, what a cool idea, but that's an idea. Most people, I I would say everyone has got crazy ideas. Oh, there's a big difference between you saying crazy idea and actually, then 10 years down the line, you actually have done it. I think all of us need to, to
1: pay attention to the the things that roll around in the back of our heart and our brain, where you don't feel satisfied unless you would do something about it, where you, 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 you literally can't not wake up in the morning and not think about it, where you feel there's an empty hole in you if you don't take even the littlest step toward that goal. And that's what I felt in that direction. We had no footwear manufacturing experience no business experience, no e-commerce experience. But we had this idea and everybody that I floated it by goes, yeah, man, that's a good idea. That sounds interesting and fun and different. Like you should pursue that. And so I sold a bunch of my guns and a motorcycle and I paid for our first prototypes and then they looked really good. We took photo samples of them, So I sold some more guns in another motorcycle on a hot rod and I paid for our samples and we were too poor to get a trade show booth at these shows. So, you know, we ordered 200 samples and I bird dog down back in the early days of internet creepery, all the influencers and bloggers that we wanted to talk to and emailed them and got their shoe sizes. And we went to some trade shows and we showed them our product and they posted about it. we built a website in under 24 hours with three products on it. And we sold 4,000 units in the next 72 hours we never made anything. These were just samples. Yeah. So like it was, it was, it was there. Right. And this is one of those things where you, you feel like an invisible hand on your shoulder. It just says, go hammer down, go, go for it. And we did. And it turned out (laughs) all right. I mean, there's been about, well, there's been a, a mountain of hardship in between that moment. And now but at every point in time when our heads hung low and like we feel like we're going to give up, I've almost shuttered this company so many times. And within 24 hours, that hand touches me again. You hear that voice in the back of your head that just says, keep going. And we did. And it, it always turns
0: out to be some sort of odd miracle. And it's beautiful. In your book, you describe it so well. Have you got your book in front of you? Come on, show us uh, show us here. Rise steps ascending of the unarmed forces. Yes. yes, steps ascending, rise of the unarmed forces. I love it. I love it. And it is so beautiful because you describe all that. Now there is a there's a degree of selection bias uh, there, because of course the people that you asked were essentially mates. They were essentially all they were typically military folks. Um, they're typically uh, on the in, the in the right forums, discussion forums, etc. Um, and but having said that, the feedback that you got from your mates, from your brothers there, was mind blowing. You know, yeah. you, you write it so well that that your emails lit up uh, basically, and just boom, one after the other, brilliant. Uh, do you do it in size fifteen? Does it come wide, small, etc.? And just if you see that people are buying into an idea, that is so empowering. That is so, so wonderful. I mean, so it's easy to feed off that energy, but there would have been other people who said, no, come on, that's what a silly idea. How do you deal, how did you deal with the naysayers? I just, I kept going. People that talk crap about you are never
1: working as hard as you. (laughs) Good. Yeah, that's that's really, that's all that it is. And (laughs) they don't, as like the, I believe in the FMPM rule, if you don't fuck me or you don't pay me, I don't care what you got to say. It's fine. I'm going to keep going. It's the FMPM rule. I know like I'm, 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 I'm doing something to help other people. I'm in, I'm empowering people who don't feel like they can make a change in these areas because they're just doing what their politicians tell them they have to. But now we're giving everybody the ability to make a difference. Flip flops are the are the footwear that you wear when you're chilling and relaxing and feeling good, and we want to spread that globally. And we're, now we're giving grandmothers in Tennessee to young kids in Arkansas, you know, to people in Australia, New Zealand. And our first shipment,
0: we shipped to all seven continents. We shipped product to Antarctica. <laughs> Ah now flip flops in Antarctica is normally not something that I do recommend, but <laughs> yeah. you still have to go to the shower somewhere. Okay, so there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it, it was overwhelmingly positive. Just all the emails just kept coming in. Like, uh, Let's do it. Let's go. Hey, can you yeah. get these? And then it was so overwhelming. We just we just kept manufacturing and we kept selling out of everything. And to this day, we still sell out of everything we make. It's it's awesome. Our community is awesome unbelievably positive and good and heartfelt and they're just been supportive
0: from day one i think the really important thing to highlight here though is what we haven't actually uh pointed out is that we that the combat flip-flops that you created you always thought now nah, i want to actually give back to afghanistan So you actually went to Afghanistan. You didn't have an idea about a combat flip-flop, did a run somewhere in China and then peddled them off somewhere into the world uh, as a good idea. No, you actually said, no, I will make that work. Now, that is a bit of nuts. Okay, last time I looked. Uh, when you look at Afghanistan, well, there are not too many resources there. Uh, there is certainly not 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 an easy way to get stuff in. So here yeah, you are. You're starting with an with a probably very poor infrastructure. You're starting maybe with a lack of skill set, uh, both in yourself as well as in in maybe in Afghanistan. Uh, a lack of resources, a lack of a lot of things. <laughs> Yet you made it work. How the hell did you do that?
1: Well, it's uh, we have a line. It's uh, amateurs talk tactics, professionals talk logistics. Uh. You know, it's it's great that you can make something or do something, but if you can't move it from all the way from the raw material to the to the customer, you don't have a business. Hmm. And you know, we were used to moving things around. I had been in and out of these countries for years, moving medical supplies, which over. It has just a tremendous amount of scrutiny over leather and rubber so when you say infrastructure there was a tremendous amount of infrastructure there the the coalition forces that fought in afghanistan built a 340,000 person police and military force and they set up these contracts called afghan first afghan made that was there to create jobs in america we have a thing called the Barry amendment where every piece of clothing on a soldier Mm-hmm. uh or you know service member has to be fiber forward made in america and we do that in order to create jobs at home mm-hmm. and it not only does it do that but it 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 enables us to secure our supply lines in case the country does get affected mm-hmm. and you need to be able to produce for your defense and they were doing that in afghanistan so they had these massive modern boot factories in afghanistan with a skilled workforce they had like known supply lines shipping in all of these goods, so our thought was like we're just going to take a small slice of their overhead, right? And we're going to just ship in on their shipments. We're and when they have dips in the supply line, I mean they were making two thousand pairs of boots a day. We were just trying to make two to four thousand pair of footwear a year, so they could easily fit it in there somewhere for a little bit of extra scratch. And hopefully, when their boots contracts ended, we would be able to you know, backfill that production and keep those people working because each employee in those factories supports five to 13 family members. Yeah. It's 1500 to 4800 people that were like, it's it's a small town in America mm-hmm. that were supported by this one boot factory. And like, why are those people not worthy of support? You know, like, I th- I think they should be. And so we said, Hey, like, we're going to figure this out and we're going to do it. Mm-hmm.
0: And then the problem started happening. Um, (laughs) But let me me stop you there because it was so beautiful. You describe it in your book because um, maybe most people don't understand that there is actually uh, a a, quite a lot of skill actually available in, in a country that is that is broken at the moment but there is still there you describe the moments when you walked into some of these factories and your jaw dropped uh because of the beautiful setup of of dozens and maybe hundreds of people um actually working together and and you describe it when you you came with a with a sample uh into one of these these places and they thought looked Played around, and immediately we're on board, and it was beautiful just to read that. That first for for working together, for coming together, for working as a group, it was amazing. I mean, yeah, in America, we have the the made in USA thing.
1: So when you buy something and you you look at your label, there's a sense of pride. You know that a fellow American made that. You know that they are the people in the factory are proud they do that. And now we were giving Afghans who had been pushed around by the world for millennia to throw that made in Afghanistan stamp on there and then ship it to America there was a tremendous (laughs) sense of pride on behalf of the factory workers in order to make that happen and they they wanted to do it it was unbelievable the energy was palpable.
0: beautiful 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 um which time was that that was 2011 2012 thereabouts That, that was 2012 yeah um so uh, things were still still very dicey there. Um, the, the violence in Afghanistan came in waves, um, is coming in waves, I guess. Um, so was that a relatively peaceful time there? Or was, was that uh, where were the insurgents at that time? No, I mean, when we were putting our samples together at a boot
1: factory, uh, our first factory had lost their boot contract. And so they manufactured our first run. And they said, "Hey, we can't make anymore. You guys can't keep our overhead alive." So we found another boot factory that had already been shuttered, but they were willing to work with us. And literally, while we're standing in the compound, sewing up flip flops and making all of our samples and hammering stuff down, we just hear the un. It's undeniable. It's truly recognizable sound of a of a IED blast, and that was three quarters of a mile down the road. So it's it's real. You know, we went saw like what had happened and it was some guy had dropped a backpack bomb in the middle of a market near the embassy area and killed a whole bunch of people where they were just getting ready to go buy sandwiches and drinks and everything else in the morning. And then it was horrible. Um, so it's real. I mean, the violence is real, the The challenges were real, like the the loss of life is, is, a, is a thing that happens. And, you know, the only way that we could do it is just create more jobs
0: and positivity yeah. And that's what you did, and that's what you managed to do. And this is for that alone. Yeah, wow! Uh, I I thank you, because you are literally you've tried to make this world a little bit of a better place uh there and then, and you succeeded against all odds. You created this movement. Really, we need to call it a movement. It is not just a uh, oh yeah, he he put some flip flops on the market. No, 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 no. You actually did that. Um, which is amazing i I, I can't take all the credit
1: i can't like my my brother andy is our production and operations manager and if it weren't for him we wouldn't be alive my my fo lee who is our chief marketing officer and then you know we we were fortunate enough to have the work ethic and the skills to put it all together but it's Mm. it's really been our community our community created it they waited for Eighteen
0: months That's after right. their order, to take <laughs> I <know>. delivery. <laughs> I saw that. Oh, it's just amazing, and it just shows that that the power of community, the power of connection, is sometimes uh, that keeps an idea alive, that keeps your hope alive. And I think that is so true. The, the opposite to addiction is connection. The opposite to mental health problems is connection. So, therefore, you have actually fostered this principle in the most beautiful way but there is the saying uh no no plan survives contact with the enemy um the your best laid plans um were <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and then uh, uh, then the taliban happened so what the fuck
1: um yeah I'm, so I'll, I'll try to give the readers digest version there you guys can read it all in detail in her book with all of the glorious expletives uh, in there because we didn't hold back on the on the expletives in the book. But first contract, uh, first contracted factory lost their boot contract with the military. Couldn't support sustained production. Second contract where we where I mentioned um, where that bomb had gone off. Uh, they liked us, but we needed to guarantee twenty to thirty thousand per year, which we just couldn't do at the time. We didn't have enough cash to do it. So we buggered off up into the uh up into the Panjshir Valley, which is a very famous valley in Afghanistan. And we saw the sacrifices that those Afghans had made for their freedom. And it was, it was humbling. And you know, we'd ask for help. You know, if guys like us, it's really tough to ask for help. And so I called a couple of people at the Department of Commerce. And there's this guy named Walt Koenig, and he's the man. And he did some digging while we were, you know, licking our wounds up in the Panjshir Valley. And as soon as my <laughs> cell phone turned back on, he says, Hey, I found another bootcont boot factory for you you need to be here in two hours like well we're two and a half hours away and that turned into the scariest ride of my life in between the Pancher valley and cobble and we got there and we saw the biggest factory we'd seen the most beautiful factory we'd ever seen they just done a million dollar renovation on it after suffering a, a fire in their factory they had all new equipment and they wanted to work with us and they said hey Like, send us your prototypes, send us your designs. And so this is in September of 2012. Uh, We had no cash because we'd spent it all on the first production run. We couldn't send the products that we had made because our material supplier had bait and switched us in China. So we had thousands of beautifully assembled pairs of footwear that we just simply just had to give away to Afghans. It wasn't even worth shipping them home. We sent them, like we just gave them away. So I leveraged every credit card I had. We bought more materials and then we flew home. September turned to October, turned into November. The new factory making the materials said, it's ready, get them off my dock. The next call I got was from the third Afghan factory that said, hey, we just lost our boot contract. You need to guarantee us 80,000 pair. Otherwise we can't manufacture for you. And I said, all right, that's that's a really like, that's, that's a solid no for me. I can't honestly tell you that Hmm. and uh my the next call we had was between andy my brother lee my cmo and i and we were all lee lives in la andy was somewhere in seattle and andy is a very talented human being he'd worked 20 years as a professional painter and in some construction industries and he said you know i saw those things made in afghanistan It, it wasn't that hard fuck it i'll make them so we shipped We shipped the container to my house. And as it bobbed across the Pacific Ocean, we had raided a couple manufacturing facilities over here and got ovens and sanders and conference room tables, which we sawed in half to make assembly tables. And we manufactured our first 4,000 pair in my garage, 30 feet behind my kitchen, in order to fulfill our, our word to our customers. And that was a tremendous learning lesson for us. No plan survives first contact, but you know, we we always do what we say we're going to do. We're going to make it happen.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, talk about dedication. Because it is not just uh, that you put your money where your mouth is, but also you gave up your life. And and I love it how you said it. it's basically it became a family business. It became everyone, uh, closest friends, uh, people coming around. What you're doing? Oh, come on, let's go to the press and go. <laughs> and, no, there is. Uh,
1: yeah, there was a former Air Force pararescueman who'd literally been shot in the head two years before in Afghanistan and recovering from a traumatic brain injury. He parked his RV in my driveway, and he was there with me every morning from 6 a.m. to every evening, 7 p.m., helping us manufacture flip-flops. Hmm. Yeah, people were into it. People who had sacrificed and taken real damage from there saw this as a good thing, and they were willing to participate. His name is Jimmy Settle and he's got a book out uh, called Never Quit
0: and you guys should grab it. So, yeah. Very good. And what an amazing, amazing story. But it also shows that ultimately there was a catharsis there for you. There was a a, a journey of healing for you. There was a journey of dealing with the moral injury that you've witnessed. And that is eating away on the soul of so many Uh, so many soldiers that are returning back from wars, regardless where, I mean, we are talking about the United States, but no doubt the same will now, right now, uh, occur in the Ukraine, in in Russia, in in many other parts, to, to find a purpose to transform and to let those memories make sense and maybe calm down in their emotional uh roller coaster that they cause it's it's actually beautiful so you were we call it filling our karma cup back up i actually like that i like that a lot man i like that a lot but i mean here you were um you were in a relationship then um and there's only so much that that your 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 partner typically believes in in the craziness of your ideas. Um, same here. Uh, I've got my wife is is very supportive of my show and etc. But yeah, at the moment, I'm putting a lot of my time, a lot of my money in there. My show doesn't make any money whatsoever. It does not even cover the costs. Um, so there was a bit of criticism that I from now and then get from my wife. Um, how was it with your partners? Uh, you no, know, no, it was uh it was a challenge for sure.
1: You know, it, it, you know, I could go anywhere in you know, a large corporation and I could go take a CEO job or a high ranking executive job, go trade my soul for money. I, I could do that, but it would, it would not be fulfilling to me. And That causes struggles, right? When, you know, you're working your ass off every day, not making really any money whatsoever, not going on vacations, not doing all those things. The partner has a very, they're challenged by it when they see their neighbors and everything else driving the new car every few years. And you're going to Europe and doing all these other things. Like it's, 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 it definitely challenges your relationships.
0: If you could go back to that moment in time with the knowledge and the the insights that you've got today what would you tell that griff at that time as far as your relationship is concerned what would you do different Uh, you know i don't think i would have done anything differently (laughs) (laughs) that's honest because it's 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 the it's the dedication that drives us it's the it's those the deep seated knowledge that you have found a purpose and yeah. that is such a powerful thing for your own soul to survive because yeah, you I know probably. if you yeah. lose that if you lose that you you lose the reason to live and for some people especially people who have for veterans who have come back that is quite literal. So I understand very much what you're saying there. Yeah, I mean, you you, you need that, it's fulfilling. It's the one thing that's tethering you to this existence. Wow, absolutely, yeah. no, brilliant. And it's it's good that we speak that out, that we be so honest, because that is, we, we are talking about life and death. Uh, I, the, the, the figures keep changing, but how many veterans do take their lives every day in the United States? It's, you know, it's, it's tough. tough. They say 22 a day. Some guys say 40,
1: hmm. you know, within my circles, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't lost anybody to that recently. And I think it's just due to the strength of, of our community together. When somebody right. struggles, we're all aware enough. Um, but I have been one degree away from it for the past, you know, 20 years. You know, I've, I had a friend that I'm, I'm literally on the phone with last night. He says, I'm having a bunch of dark days because his best friend that he had served with had passed away under that manner, And, it, and it, just, it just keeps going. And, you know, when we see Iraq fall apart after we leave, we see Afghanistan fall apart after we leave. And we see Americans at home not care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and the, the country that you stood up to defend and the people that you were supposed to care about supposed to take care of you, they're not. It just, just doesn't make you want to be here anymore. And I truly understand that feeling. Like I, I can, I can tell you that I can still taste it. Um, mm. but it's, it's one of those things that what do you do when you're going through hell? Keep going. You keep going. Absolutely. You got to hammer down the gas and throttle out. um Absolutely. And, and when I, when I tell guys like, just like there's two types of veterans who get out, generally um there's the one guy who just pours himself into his work and moves ahead and buries himself that way and there's the other guy who does drinking and drugs like be the former like at least be 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 a positive influence and try to be successful in your community and make something of the world i know you don't have your purpose right now it took me five years after i got out and luckily it happened it takes 10 or 15 but it's there for you if you keep looking but if all you keep doing is looking into that dark closet, all you're going to see is more darkness. So
0: true. So 100% true. So here you were, finding that purpose, pouring your soul into it, creating a movement, following through to yourself, uh, as well as to your to the people who believe in you. Um, it is gorgeous. And then America pulls out of uh, Afghanistan. And within about a second, you have got the Taliban, your uh, pretty much sworn enemy, taking over and pretty much destroying everything. Here you were creating lives for communities, creating lives, uh, creating an income stream for families, which includes, by accident, uh, those with two X chromosomes. Um, so, my goodness. And that is where your where your book stops and where your story really stops, because uh, it is. I know how how painful it must have been, and I'm not sure if you want to talk about it. I'm not sure. Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it.
1: Um, uh, so we had been working to get our interpreter from for Combat flip-flops, the guy who was with us on our first journey, bouncing around through all of our failures, mm-hmm. Monir, for. The previous eight years in dealing with American bureaucracy, you know, somebody in Nebraska claiming that he was falsely, you know, rec- like falsely representing a service. This guy has been serving Army Rangers, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, and all these guys are standing up and going, No, I served with this guy for years. He has been in more gunfights than most Americans would ever <laughs> potentially understand. <laughs> this guy did the work and deserves to get out. And We did a hefty campaign in early 21 to get him out, so much so we were on 60 Minutes in America about it. But, you know, you you can't take a no from somebody who can't say yes. That is a lesson in life. Don't take a no from somebody who can't say yes. What you have to realize is that most of the people, when you run into administrative problems, they're just trying to protect themselves and protect their jobs, and they don't want to take any risk, whether it's moral or immoral. And we were just taking notes from the U.S. government and we said, all right, what other options are there? It's like, hey, did you serve any British units under any of your contracts? Moner served one three-month contract for the U.K. We figured that out, got the paperwork, and then less than two weeks later, he was out in – he was in London, right, in quarantine during that time. It Uh it was – it was a shame. Like, I don't like using the tool of shame, but shame on America for that. Shame on those administrators in the Department of State. Shame on all those guys who got those fat government paychecks and the safety of their own homes, right? For not making it happen for this one person. And I was really thankful for the for the Brits for making this happen for him. But during that time and that lead up, I had been calling it. I have actively been following everyday Afghanistan. I don't read US media I read what the world has to say. And what I do know is the Taliban has all the gold, right? They have a lot of gold there. They have all the drugs and they have an endless supply of guns. And they are culturally more aligned with Afghans and they have held their word. Honestly, they have stuck to their promises from the very beginning about what they were going to do versus the Americans. We did not. And when it raged across Afghanistan, We saw it coming. I'm documented on podcasts for years beforehand. I called this. I said, this is what is going to happen. I'm a West Point graduate, Army Ranger, combat vet that's taken my own time and money invested in this culture, but nobody wants to listen to me. So when this started happening badly, I I thought, man, is there another way that I can represent this? And have you you ever heard of the band called Perfect Circle? A Perfect Circle? Uh, yes but i couldn't tell you a song now yeah it's the the main maynard the, the maynard keenan the lead singer from tool had done a different band but they they sing about a lot of things and he has this song called pat and just hop on spotify pat by i'm sorry so sorry uh-huh. i'll turn my ringer down i apologize
0: <laughs> no trouble at all
1: <laughs> we are um, living lives brother we're yeah. living lives that's all good cool. So he and uh, it's a song that's written from the perspective of a warmongering American politician and basically says, Go to sleep, we got you covered. This evil boogeyman's gonna come to get you. Just do what we tell you. <laughs> and I woke up one morning, and it's it's one of those things where you wake up and you can't not touch a keyboard. I felt, for the lack of a better term, a divine inspiration. And I wrote a letter to America from the Taliban and their voice. And it was called Written in Taliban. I called another Ranger Buddy author of mine. I said, hey, can you proofread this? And we, he said, this is good, but you need to twist the knife a little harder. And we did a couple quick edits. And I'm telling you, in less than four hours from waking up, my eyes opening to hitting the publish button, that thing went off. In less than 24 hours, it was read by the chairman of the joint, no, the chairman of um, the strategy office of the Pentagon to his Pentagon staff and said to his staff, and I know because a classmate of mine from West Point was sitting in the room when he said it, he says, We have grossly mismanaged our, our approach toward Afghanistan for the last 20 years. It went to the White House, went through all the intelligence agencies. This article went viral. People that shared it had their Facebook accounts shut down. Literally (laughs) housewives were getting thousands of shares on it. (laughs) We got shadow banned. We got like everything that we had called. And it was a fictitious thought piece that was getting us like hammered down on. And um, we, we, we we had had a lot of media. You know, in the development of our company, from left, from right, from everywhere, we're an American patriotic story about helping others in need. And so I have kept a very strict, you know, Rolodex of my media contacts. And when this happened, I said, Hey, I am willing to be a subject matter expert on Afghanistan. I'm a businessman there, I'm involved in businesses, I'm in contact with people on the ground. If there's anything that you need to know about what's going on, please reach out to me. I am glued to my desk until this is over. And I literally slept in my office for three weeks. I lost 17 pounds in two weeks. Just making this People were bringing me food to the office. And it got to a point to where we were like collecting so many families and organizing safe houses and getting people moved around and teaching them how to like which cell phone platforms were compromised and what not to communicate on that. We ended up one of our investors in Bellevue, Washington, TAG, another ranger-owned company, said, hey, use my conference room. And a team of special operations folks came in and we sat down and we ran evacuation missions for weeks to get this done. And we got some people out and we didn't get them all. Like We were there like during the bomb blast. And I wrote about that in my written in Taliban article a week before it had happened. I told people that this was going to happen. And they did not listen, right? And it was it was it was heartbreaking. And then after I got out of the 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 malaise of that that heartbreak, I couldn't go out in public for probably months. I couldn't sit down in restaurants and listen to people blather blabber about TikTok or their new car or what Taylor Swift was doing. meanwhile knowing that all of my friends had lost their jobs they were on the run for their lives there were women who were having to give births in like these safe houses we were organizing doctors to get to them um and they were spending four or five hundred dollars on a dinner which would have supported one of those families for a year and people weren't giving up the money not only that but the online platforms for raising money for afghanistan were shut down we literally the u.s banks could not you could not transfer to Afghanistan. Western Union, all of the money transfers, everything else, GoFundMe, they were literally stopping people from raising money to help Afghans in need. When Eric Prince's, You're kidding yeah, me. when Eric Prince's, no, I'm telling you, when Eric Prince's Airbus had to take off after the explosion because insurance wouldn't cover him anymore, I had 45 seats on that plane paid for. I could not get people through the fucking gate. I'm talking like it was dumbfounding and heartbreaking in so many ways, right? To see how it was how it went down. Like I, I don't trust the government. I didn't trust the government before. I definitely don't trust them now. Right. And then, you know, whatever a week or two later, oh, we're we're gonna airstrike the person who had done the done the bombing, and they sent a hellfire missile into a hotel and killed a whole bunch of civilians buried in the media. Meanwhile, a year and a half later, the Taliban, they kill that dude on their own and it comes out in the news and nobody reconciles the two different stories. Nobody, because people don't care. They didn't care when we were there. They don't care that it's gone now. They just like repeat all of the media. Oh, the Afghans didn't lift a finger. The Afghans lost hundreds of thousands of people in their fight for their nation, but they're just gonna pair it you know the guys that are sitting behind, you know, getting paid millions of dollars to read a teleprompter. You know, it's it. It was really challenging for me to go out and interact with the American public. It really was.
0: No, Griff. It's absolutely clear. I expected that there was zero, zero doubt in my mind that this would be a hugest kick in the balls, and I'm not surprised about the act, the immediate action that you took in order to help the the relationships, the friends, the the co-workers that that you had relied on, who probably saved your life, who certainly helped you through bloody hard times when you were in Afghanistan. So to see that happening is soul-destroying. So here you are, just another time, soul-destroyed. Fucking hell, man. Why are you still here? What the hell? How the hell, how the hell did you get through that dark spot?
1: When in doubt, throttle out. Right. My <laughs> my you know, my my partner, she was an amazing like person to lean on for me. Like that was the first time my daughters had ever seen me cry and break down after that bomb went off. And we were contracting people to go hunt for a little girl that had gone missing, you know, in the explosion. Like as soon as that bomb went off, my my signal messaging app started poking up photos of this like little seven year old girl in a princess outfit. Like help me find my daughter. That one fucking broke me. It did. Uh, but you know Afghans are resilient. They've been through Alexander the Great. They've been through Genghis Khan. They've been through the Soviets. They've been through the Taliban. They've been through the United States. But they're still there. I'm not they, talking, they're...
0: Brother, I'm not talking about the Afghans. I'm talking about you.
1: But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. But when <laughs> but when you see, like, here I am sitting in my my beautiful mountain town of Issaquah, Washington, mm. you know, depressed. But then you see the resilience of the the people mm. coming through and saying, hey, we're doing these things, we're doing that. How can I give up when they haven't? Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. You know, and, uh, how can I do that? And, you know, we wow. we were fortunate, like a news podcaster, a news anchor asked me, like, what do you think the administration is betting on? It's like, well, they're betting on that football season is around the corner and America is <laughs> going to forget in about a month and a half. And you know what? Yeah, did they did Exactly. Yeah. And uh, but there were still people on the run. There were still people to be taken care for. You know, the you know, we, we were doing everything we possibly could in the process to get people out of Afghanistan was impossible even to different nations because america and you know the western powers have created so much chaos around the world over the past 20 years that the other nations that typically would have accepted refugees shut the door they did they just shut the door so getting them getting a, a visa to another country where you could get them proper documentation to live their lives was an impossibility so the answer was you're gonna have to sit and wait And we're fortunate enough that there are some organizations that didn't steal money uh, from Afghans uh, during the withdrawal. There are a lot of organizations that did with no accountability, but the ones that didn't, you know, I know some of the folks and they gave us money. And what we did was we transitioned our textile factory that had been making our scarves and shamas to making cold weather clothing because a lot of these people had ran with the clothes on their back in the middle of summer. And then they went right into one of the hardest winters Afghanistan's seen in a long period of time and they were exactly. freezing to death. So we did what we could. We got them money, they bought materials, and they put people to work manufacturing cold weather clothing and jackets and putting together food packages and doing clandestine deliveries around a country. Wow. And these are these are people who didn't serve in the military. They're just good-hearted Afghans doing the right thing, helping their other countrymen not die. And so we just kept doing that. And eventually it got to a spot where, hey, can we start production again? And for our business, this crushed my business in 2022. When it happened in 2021, we were doing our our scarf for our winter delivery. That's how we make it through the winter and how we generate cash for the flip-flops in the spring. It locked up about 40% of our gross revenue, 30 to 40% of our gross revenue in Afghanistan sat in a factory in Kabul. Because we literally could not get a commercial shipment out of there, we had no cash to put flip flops, which we now make in Colombia, on the ground through the spring. So we took a fifty percent reduction in gross revenue in under twelve months, just because we didn't have the the cash to make the product to generate. This was horrible. Yeah, you know, and like you know, fortunately, our factory had maintained our stuff. They had kept work. They found other things to do. And the very first commercial shipment that was left out of Afghanistan, we were able to get our products on, shipped it to America, and sold out of that product in less than two weeks. It, you know people still want it, they wanted to support. And like we have the factory back up and running now. And so that shipment, if you guys want them, you can go to our website, combat flip-flops, type in our shamas or you can go to Amazon, you can get them there. Right. But every time you buy one of those, you're you're putting somebody to work who really needs it, who has no other opportunity in the world right now. Which so, is the which so is you- which is the problem, right? That's how terrorists are really made is when there's no other opportunity, exactly. they will take money to do terrorist stuff. So for 20 to 30 to 40 bucks, like let's just at a time, let's just chunk it out, put people to work, right, and make stuff. And it's not just the person sewing the tassels on the end, it goes all the way down to the guy in the field making the cotton. It's the whole
0: supply chain. You're helping thousands of people with this process. Yeah. Devil's advocate. Are you not supporting the Taliban by um, by keeping the production going there? Am I not supporting immoral wars by paying my taxes? I love it. Love it. Now, that's a good answer. Okay. <laughs> 100% agree. <laughs> Just, 100% when, when agree. It, it,
1: yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah, we pay we we pay a shipment tariff, right? To the Taliban IT guys and the shipping guys to pay them to get our products out the door. And like this, much as I hate to say it, I've never said it in public again, they keeping them employed in a job that moves my product is better than keeping them employed with a rifle impressing people.
0: Touche. Touche. Um the other thing to say is that the first the first victim of any war is the truth. Um the Taliban, you actually said it earlier in the interview, the Taliban kept their word. Um, and if you look into the history of the Taliban and the history of their uh, what they did uh, when they rose up as uh, at the time of the Mujahideen, um, they were actually bringing um, a certain order into the area where they live they try they actually supported um the people there they sorted out um tribal conflicts they sorted out um differences between between villagers are we are there positive sides to the taliban that you actually have experienced not that i've witnessed fair call Fair call. Yeah, no, um, uh, no, no, none that I've, none literally none that I've witnessed. Mm. So. And that that is so important because I, the reason I'm saying that is as a warning to everyone out there, don't believe for a moment the 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 facts that you were given in mainstream media. Um, we are all told a story, and that story is told for a reason. Um, some of it might resemble the truth, but uh, I take everything with a grain of salt. So I love what you said that you don't listen to the American news. Love it like bits. So, where do out of interest, where do you get your news from? Uh,
1: you know, I think Al Jazeera is the most spot on. <laughs> um, love it. Again, okay. they, they they really are. They just they yeah. tell it from, and I I think the way their their media has to be written, it has to be more fact based and checked. Yeah. Uh, and they and they generally care more about the regional interests that are around them. Hmm which most Americans understand is those interests are our interests and it would be great if American reporters reported on it in the same way that they did, because, you know, unfortunately two oceans separate us. So we have our level of distance mm. and safety. So we can say whatever we want, with no repercussions and very few people are going to validate those claims if any.
0: Yeah.
1: So um, I, I like Al Jazeera, mm. you know, and, and I generally take my news from the people who are there on the ground. I just call them, Hey man, how's things mm. going? exactly like what's what's the scene like yeah and they'll tell you from their perspective and i always try to think of uh, i learned this through one of my business investors, but there's always triangulation there's your truth there's my truth and then there's the truth Exactly. so anything you hear you have to look with a small degree of skepticism and just try to pick the facts that you can validate out anywhere in between
0: exactly and sometimes it's quite good to listen to all sides. So I I routinely check sort of Deutsche Welle, uh, the German uh, news, uh, the BBC, the CNN. Uh, CNN I keep in there because I want to see oh, what is that kind of, uh, of of influencing. <laughs> what are they saying? Just for the sake of it. But uh, yes, please, guys, ask yourself two questions. Is what I'm hearing true? And the second one is, why is someone telling me that? Um, and that is that so suited me well. Well, it's, st- it's interesting. I have I have two teenage daughters, and so
1: I I've been involved in I don't know countless things that have made global news, and I've witnessed it firsthand, and then I see what the media reports about it. <laughs> to this day, in my 20 plus years of of being involved in global history. Not one reporter has gotten it right. Not one.
0: <laughs> oh, that's there's brutal.
1: <laughs> been, there's been one guy who's been as close to the pin as possible. Um, and to this day, he's one of my best friends because I trust what he has to say. Right? Like one. And if for all the mainstream media guys that get their you know feathers ruffled by that, like, well, just are you generating content to earn a paycheck or are you telling the truth?
0: The problem, of course, is the truth can not just set you free in a, in a beautiful world. No, the truth actually can hurt you career-wise very much so. And that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and that that yeah, is I, true.
1: I, up until when I started speaking the truth about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, I was on a few news channels and they were conservative leaning. Mm. We have not gotten one call from a media agency. Uh, about uh, our uh, companies uh, since then my speaking engagements i used to speak all over the world yeah. about what we do have d- decreased significantly that could be covid related but you know the interest of <laughs> in what we're doing <laughs> has been uh really decreased you mean- but all, you know, i'm gonna call this one on this podcast just so that way it's documented yeah. in the same way in the post vietnam or era america had an opioid addiction Afghanistan's opium production increased to record levels during the occupation. A lot of people don't know this, but the Taliban banned opium production in late 2000, early 2001, and go figure, were there. The Taliban now again banned opium production. And you see, even from the government agencies that are coming out now, they're writing reports from PhDs that are saying banning opium production is bad for Afghanistan. Go go to the US websites and like Google Taliban bans opium production. Look at who's writing it, what organizations they're for and look at their rationale. Afghans are amazing farmers. If there's one thing that they can do is they can grow something out of nothing. And you're telling me the only thing that they can grow is opium. That is a lie. as a flat out lie. You're just saying that because the world is hooked on fentanyl and opiates right now. They make up 80% Of the world's opium they border china and we go oh china's making all the fentanyl where do you think they're getting the base material so taliban banned opium wait i'm going to call this one the next two to three years we're going to be involved there again and we're going to do it under the guise of terrorism
0: okay okay i so hope that you're wrong I so hope that you're wrong. My cynical... uh, uh had a cynical me uh, things. Yeah, it's a good point there. Eh? Um, <laughs> but I so hope you're wrong. Because it, I still hope that we can learn from our mistakes. I still hope that with in 2023, when we have got access to so many resources out there, that some critical thinkers are not blinkered anymore, that we have created an environment where we can actually ask the uncomfortable questions, and listen to a variety of answers, and then choose the one that we really believe in. Um, There has been so much, so much done wrong, in Afghanistan, um, there has been so much done wrong, specifically by the United States, in the way that they handled uh, the aftermath of Afghanistan as well as the aftermath of Iraq. Even the dumbest redneck must come to that conclusion, or am I am I so naive?
1: You no, know, as they say, those who fail those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm those that do are doomed to watch others repeat it now we you know you mentioned those two countries but we skip over libya like we were greatly involved in the overthrow of Gaddafi there Mm. and all those weapons flew into the hands of isis which then raged across syria which then raged across northern iraq yeah like yeah yeah, people skip over they just they just total omissions just Mm. they never happened right And and I I really hope that people that listen to this Mm. just do some digging on their own. Mm. But really just take a look at it. And the only thing you need to do is just look at the numbers of civilian casualties. And if your government representative ever says you're doing this in order to save lives or to stop terrorism, I hope you self-reflect and ask them the question, well, under these, who is the terrorist? Mm. Really, who is? And I, I I don't condone any violence whatsoever hurting innocent civilians to achieve a political goal. I don't do it, but that's the definition of terrorism.
0: Hmm. Very true words spoken, my friend. Very true words. But it's so easy now to get into despair and to say, oh my god, the world is a piece of shit. Um, but here we are. We both are hope now. we both are merchants of hope. We both are here to prove that we can make this world a little bit better, one interview at a time, one project, one book at a time. What are you working on now? What is the story from Colombia? What is the, the story? I mean, you, you you keep working with Afghanistan, but uh, that is uh, that is only one part of one page in your book. Who do you want to be when you grow up? So I'd like to rewind about 30 seconds.
1: And you say about making the world a better place. And I, the, that one reporter that I spoke, spoke about a few minutes ago, you know, he got after me because we've changed up our media a little bit. And he's like, oh, you're just putting bad ideas. And people's said, it's like, no, I'm fostering a discussion. Did you read the comments? And he said, well, you have the power to change the world. And I looked at him dead face. And I said, I don't have the power to change the world. And he, he was shocked. And he looked at me. I was like, I don't. I have tried. I have the the street cred, the bona fides, the pedigree. You know, you would hope that people would listen to me because I I have not only I've demonstrated my ability to 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 want to go in and lead people to do a good thing, and people should have followed that. I have been closed off from every government aid contract that there is. If the, if I would have gotten a small fraction of what was made available for Afghanistan under development aid, I would have made a dramatic impact in that country. My team would have made a dramatic impact in that country. But the powers that be don't want it to change. And I hate to be that conspiracy theorist naysayer, but like, you know, upsetting their status quo, it just is not what they want. So I have to dial it back. And I, I fall into this line, uh, uh, an Israeli pararescue friend told me and he said, Griff, to save a life is to save a world, because when you save one life, you are saving somebody's entire world, and I and it's it's recentered me in which I have taken a look at how we're operating and how we're moving, and we are going to go smaller and more impactful. Um, and so we're we're still manufacturing in Columbia. Our factories are hammering down flip flops as fast as they can. We're shipping them. We're still working in Afghanistan. We're doing everything we can to get business back up and running and shipping there. It's actually flowing fairly smoothly now. We just need people to buy more of our Shamas to to keep that effect going. So again, <laughs> go to combatflipoffs.com and go to go to the shaman, buy those. You won't be disappointed. I promise. We make we make the best ones on the planet and we do it because we want people to feel good about their purchase and we want them to tell their friends and we can all and if we all do a little together, we can do a lot. Um where, you know, we bring our seasonal jewelry in from Laos, it's made out of landmines, we've cleared over 25,000 square meters of landmines. We're working with veteran charities here now, One More Wave in the United States, which takes amputee veterans and gets them on a surfboard with specialized websites and specialized surfboards and partner swimmers. Um, so if we, if we get one guy in the water, and he goes out every third Saturday, and that's his accountability to stay alive and to see friends, then we save somebody's world. Those are the things that we do. Um and, you know, on another front, I've, you know, I've, I've moved into some alternative medicine stuff over the past few years, and I really kept it quiet. But I do think there are other methodologies other than the VA to heal moral injuries that have been proven over thousands of millennia, like no, I would say that, but, but over the millennia to actually work, to really like shed you of that darkness to get you back on the path of the light and to help others. And so we say, you know, we're, we're working ourselves to
0: help warriors and build warriors for light for good beautiful, 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 beautiful. Griff, you're an amazing man. And it is you're such a such a an example of transformation of living through fucking hard times, who are for for resilience for not giving up for so many things. It, it's I knew the first time I read your book that you're an amazing man. Uh, this this interview just cemented that I, I, I can't wait to see who you become, and how you will change, because you're not giving up. And that's beautiful. Uh, If you're in hell, uh, if you have to go for hell, you better keep going. Um, Because things will change. And your insights will be there, and you are growing, and you're becoming stronger. And you need the, the the pressure to create a diamond fuck me you're a rough diamond but hell you're a diamond <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: the, 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 the one word and i hate it but like from people from all different circles they go the one word they like he's an intense individual and you know what i am <laughs>
0: i i go with that man <laughs> yeah i'm sure you've been called a lot of things <laughs> intense i think is a good one <laughs> yeah god, god wired me a little bit differently and he wired me that Way for a reason and I'm gonna roll with it. <laughs> guys, y- you heard Griff's story. Come on, let's support this guy. Um, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because you've got all his information there. They there, combat flip-flops. Um, the the sheer fact that that you have got jewelry that is made out of landmines. And uh, that's a that's a discussion starter wherever I go. <laughs> so it's beautiful. So, guys, put your money where your mouth is. Um, and maybe maybe support him and support the movement that he has created and maintained against all the, the uh, contrary, contrarism, uh, <laughs> against all the, the hardship that he has faced. And maybe, just maybe, maybe take a leaf out of his book. Maybe think, is there something that you can do right now to make this world a bit of a better place? You can't change the world. Okay, Cliff, I, I give you that. You can't change the world, but you can change right now the world immediately around you. You can change your own perspective. You can take, take, change your own physical state by doing the right things, by looking after yourself. By doing so, you become a model of looking after yourself in front of your family. And maybe you implement a few changes within your family. You maybe realize that right now you've got the privilege of living in relative peace, maybe maybe appreciate that privilege and make the most out of it. Live more intentional right now. Put a smile on your, uh, your respective partner. Um, touch your dog and play with him for five seconds and get the dopamine running. You know, it, there's so many things you can do right now to actually help yourself and help those people around you. And imagine you do that every day. Imagine you do that, you know, even every other day, if you're so busy right now, but just look after yourself and life will change. Griff is the the example that you can do a lot. And Griff, you're an amazing man. You're, you're great. Show us your book again. Guys, if you need any reminders here, <laughs> Steps Ascending, Rise of the Unarmed Forces, It's an amazing book to read. It's very humbling. Uh, And it maybe gives you just that power that you need to create your own crazy idea and follow through with it. Because who knows, if we all do that, can you imagine that we make the world a better place? Shit, yeah, I can. Griff, you're an amazing man. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. This was a blast. I absolutely love it. Awesome. Well thank you very much. Appreciate your time and
1: uh look forward to catching up with everybody in the comments. <laughs> look after yourselves. Bye. <laughs> I never
0: give up. I never give
1: up. I never give up. Turn around.